My name is John, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Whitewater. If we have not met yet, hello. My, uh, my wife and I, uh, we will be out in public, and someone will come up to us and be like, this will say, hi, John. And we still haven't gotten over it yet. It's, it's very, um, it's kind of alarming. I was like, how do you know my name? <laughs> you know, it, it, we haven't gotten used to it yet. I know we've been here for like eight, 18 months, but we're still not used to it. And whether it's the grocery store or a restaurant and it's lost on us, and it's probably a good thing of like just how many people are in our whitewater community, whether it's here or online or on the TV, which that is a whole other thing. Like David or I, neither one of us grew up wanting to be a TV preacher. Let's be clear. Um, <laughs> So, but, you know, uh, God's ways, uh, not our ways. Um, and so getting the word out. Uh, so it's been, uh, it's been really interesting um, meeting people out in the community. And I just want to say thank you again uh, for how you guys have just been overwhelming with your encouragement. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, if you haven't been here for a while uh, or maybe you are new, welcome home. Uh, you're jumping in to the midst of a, a teaching series that we have called Summer of Love. Yeah, it's a good series. It's groovy. We've been hanging out, chilling. We've been eating together. Not edibles. Some of, y- some of y'all do that. Like, I mean, I don't judge you, um, but not that type of Summer of Love. All right? Not like that. We've been just wrestling really with the question of how do we tangibly love our neighbor, really, throughout the whole summer? How do we really love our neighbor, whether it's locally or globally? um, How do we do that? And so we're in actually week three, and it's all a part of our Solve 7 ministry. And and if you don't know uh, Solve 7, uh, let me just share what Solve 7 is all about. It exists to help people find hope by removing the physical barriers to make way for spiritual opportunities. Listen, some, some of you maybe have never experienced um, real ugly brokenness. But sometimes um, it's hard to hear the word of God when your stomach is growling so loud. There are some physical barriers that need to be addressed and removed to make way for a spiritual opportunity. That's what Solve 7 is all about, and that's what we are all about, especially in our summer of love. Last week, if, uh, as Andrea alluded to, I believe that Nick Gonzalez, God used Nick to bring a powerful word, yeah. If you missed it, check it out online. God used Nick to lead us to rescue the slave. One of our seven barriers is rescuing the slave. Uh, Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars were raised to help that cause to rescue children and women who are trapped in the sex trade, both locally and globally. We are still on track to reach our goal for AIM. That's Agape International Ministries. That's our global partner. Our goal uh, over the next few weeks is to raise $20,000 for them, and we're at about, I don't know, $12,500 right around there, and so yay God for that. We want to hit our goal, and so if you want to partner with AIM and help rescue the slave, go ahead. The information is right there for you to do on your phone at any time. You can do it right now. You can check out. I won't be offended if you're doing that on your phone. Um, we're, this week, we are going to jump into another barrier, and it's healing the sick. Because we believe that when we allow Jesus to use us to heal the sick, both physically and mentally, that we are giving people hope that they, one, will overcome, and two, that their identity is not their illness. Amen. Amen. Not only do we want people to, like, to help them heal their bodies, but friends, we want to be a part of the business where we are healing the mind, okay? Because, we, listen, I think we would all agree, that, you know, that, that physically, if something is wrong with your body, then we're going to do something about it, right? We'll go to a doctor and thank God for our medical personnel that have been doing amazing things this past year. Like, seriously, thank you. Medical staff, first responders, our caregivers, like you guys, we can't thank you enough. 
And physically, when something's wrong, we go to a doctor, right? I mean, that is typically, you know, if you break your arm, you go to the doctor, they, you get an x-ray, you know, put your arm in a cast. In six to eight weeks, giving your arm time to heal, you'll be back to your cornhole tournament in no time, right? Some of you are like, praise God, we're playing cornhole church, yeah, all right, I like this church. You know, we'd all agree. We'd all agree that if something is wrong with your body, you go to the doctor, unless you are my dad. I love you, Dad. I know he's watching. He watches every service every time. Oh, Dad. All right, true story. Um, I'm in fifth grade, and I had a really bad accident involving me, my cousin Fritzy. What's up, Fritzy? And a compound bow and arrow. The arrow won. My knee was sliced wide open. I mean, just, I still have the scars. I mean, just blood pouring out, right? I kid you not. I finally get inside the house, blood everywhere. My dad's initial response, put it in the chat if I'm lying, dad, all right? My dad's initial response was grab a towel and put some duct tape on it. Yeah, I see you. That's what you do, huh? Yeah, I'm, and so that's what we did, y'all. Literally, we wrapped a towel around my leg, duct taped it, right? I'm like, I'm dying in my mind, right? Like, seriously, I, I need to go to the hospital. Like, it wasn't until the, the, the towel was completely soaked with blood, the duct tape was starting to peel away. Duct tape because of how much blood that my dad finally said, okay, I think we should go to the hospital, but don't get any blood on the seats. <laughs> like it mattered, we had this big hoopty van, you know, the kind with the wood paneling on the side? Like, don't get any on the seats. So I come from a generation of parenting that believe that duct tape fixes everything. I know. I mean, sometimes it does, right? That and Windex, you know, just miracles. <laughs> Other than my dad and some of you, obviously, when our bodies need help, we do something about it. Even if that something's duct tape. But what about when our mind needs help? You can feel the wave of silence go across the room. Even in church, there is still a stigma about talking about mental health. We shouldn't talk about those things. We keep those to ourselves. That's private stuff. We don't talk about it's stuff that we're struggling with mentally or emotionally. We, keep, we should stuff that down. We should white knuckle it. We should put some duct tape on that. <sighs> or, or, or if we finally are brave enough to finally step out and identify and say, hey, I, I'm kind of hurting, and it's not the kind of hurt that you can see. Too often we're met with really awkward conversa conversations and really bad advice. Well-meaning, good-hearted people that kind of put your arm around you and say, oh, I know it's hard, but you know, you'll get over it, it'll pass. Well, my favorite, like, they'll think they're all spiritual and they'll be like, hey, you know, don't remember what God's word says, like this too shall pass. It's not in the Bible, y'all. Look it up. Some of y'all know it and you love that, that I said it finally, like someone finally said it. What happens when it doesn't pass? What then? What about when the things that we struggle with don't go away? See, too often our family and our friends who are struggling, they've watched how you respond 
when a commercial comes on, you're watching a movie or a TV show and, and someone's struggling mentally and they watch your comments and so they, well, I don't, I, I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. And so too often, we don't want that stigma and so we, we just, you know, withdraw. We isolate which then compounds the issue, which then leads to even further discouragement, further depression, isolation, abandonment, and making recovery even more difficult. Too often, those of us who struggle with any kind of mental illness, we quietly sentence ourselves to a private prison. Because to out ourselves, we fear would be too damaging. And before you think this isn't close to your home, pump the brakes. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, nearly one in five adults, that's 20%, one in five adults, live with a mental illness. That number represents more than 51 and a half million Americans. To compound that, an estimated 49.5% of adolescents ages 13 through 18 also live with a mental illness. One in five adults and almost half of our teens. Maybe we should put the duct tape down. And maybe we should look for ways that we could lean in and heal and listen and have a posture that says, you're safe here. This is a safe space to talk, to not be judged, to not be lectured, just to listen just to be with. Sometimes the best gift is to just know that you're not alone. There's a story in the Bible where our friend Jesus, he addresses both the physical and the mental healing in the same story. We see Jesus in, math, in sorry, Mark 5, and he, uh, he heals both the mind and the body of this young woman. <laughs> and it's this beautiful story, and there's, it's this complex, like, sandwiched story in Mark 5 uh, where actually there's multiple healings that are going to take place. In, in the beginning of the story, in the end of the story, Jesus tells the story about a, a, a dad, and I can relate to. This guy's name is Jairus, and he's the leader of a local church, a synagogue. Kind of relate to Jairus. And we find out that Jairus' 12-year-old daughter is dying and he's desperate desperate enough that he's willing to leave the synagogue that hasn't been able to give him answers and he's, he's desperate to, to, that he's willing to, to fall at the feet of Jesus. Desperate for help. I pray that I never have to experience personally what Jairus was going through. To lose a child is not fair, and it does not make any sense. I've done too many funerals with too little answers. And I know so many of you have gone through this. Just this past week, 
Another family from our Lawrenceburg community is walking through this pain. I'm so sorry, Jennifer. One of our team members, Ryan Johnson, he uh, lost his 14-year-old cousin, Brady. One moment, going to the doctor. Two weeks later, Brady went home to Jesus. I can't imagine what you are walking through. Jennifer, I want you to know that this whole body stands with you in support and love and encouragement. And you will not walk this road by yourself. I got invited to speak at a community memorial service on Tuesday. And it was this beautiful picture of watching a community come together, people from all over different communities all together in the stadium. And just got to speak a, a word of hope. I was just overwhelmed. And I know the family was praying for a miracle. They're praying for healing. And as your pastor, I can't tell you why sometimes God chooses to heal the sickness on earth and sometimes that healing is only found in heaven. I wish I knew why. I've seen both happen, which makes it even harder to rationalize and understand. I've seen the beautiful, powerful, life-changing, healing miracles. That was so weird, Siri. <laughs> Siri, what you trying to say? You would think after all the time we've been together that you all would know to turn your phones off because you know I'm going to call it out. <laughs> this time it wasn't a, a ringing, it was Siri talking. <laughs> it was good, we needed it. Didn't you feel it? See, God knew we needed to laugh in that moment. We were, we were getting like, he's on page two and it got real heavy already. <laughs> Laughter is the best medicine. <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. Thank you, Siri. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us Siri. Oh, boy. That's a message in itself. Family, I can't explain why, why sometimes the, the healing happens on earth and other times it happens in heaven. I wish I could. All I know is that I trust God even when it's hard. That I have faith even when it doesn't make sense. I trust in God's word. I trust in my Savior. I trust that his ways are not our ways. I trust that. And with every ounce of life in me, as long as I am alive, as long as I'm here until Jesus comes back, I'm going to be an agent of healing to a broken world. That's my call, and that's what I will rally us towards, to bring healing, to bring hope to a broken world, even when it doesn't make sense that we will come together as a community to be an army of hope, an army of love. And the story in Mark, it's one of those stories that, I mean, praise God for, for Jairus' situation and how God worked there. And because he does, he heals Jairus' daughter, this 12-year-old girl. It's beautiful. But sandwiched in between this story of the 12-year-old girl is a story of another young woman who has been desperate for healing for 12 years. And what Jairus, the little girl's daddy, and Jesus' disciples didn't know is that Jesus would actually be healing two daughters 
that day. Let me show you what I mean. This is verse 24 in Mark 5. Jesus went with him, Jairus, and all of the people. There's now a crowd of people following Jesus everywhere he goes. And all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them and she had gotten no better. In fact, Mark doesn't hold back here. In fact, she had gotten worse. Here's the turn. There's always a turn, right, in Jesus, with Jesus. She had heard about Jesus. <laughs> and so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. I hope you're ready for today. She thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. It's a powerful thought. Immediately, immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized that once the healing power had gone out of him and so he turned around on the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? Who touched me? And his disciples said to him, now, it doesn't say who, but I'm telling you it's Peter. I'm telling you it's Peter. Because you know Peter, man, he, he's got that smart mouth. You know, he's ready to fight. Like, so I love it. It says, uh, his disciples, Peter, said to him, look at this crowd pressing in on you, Jesus. How can you ask who touched you? Everybody crowding. He said, like, who touched me? How are you? But he kept looking. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, who had touched him. And then, and then a frightened woman It just hit me. I'm not lying. There's a couple people that were in both services. I didn't say this last time. It just hit me. She's already been through so much. She's already suffering, right? She's already been, been for 12 years, right? And even in her moment of healing, she was still frightened. Even when the healing happens, the mind still keeps going. Trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, she came and she fell to her knees in front of Jesus and told him what she did. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Your suffering is over. Can you imagine this moment? <sighs> Maybe for some of you that have lived a, I don't know what kind of life because it ain't my life. <laughs> for those of us who have suffered, can you imagine this moment? 12 years of suffering with an illness. 12 years of suffering without answers. 12 years of, of a bank account being depleted. Doctors haven't been able to help. 12 years of being cast aside and marginalized. See, because for this woman, according to religious laws and the customs for, for these people, a woman with a bleeding disorder like this, she would have been considered unclean, which in their culture means that, means that her own family couldn't even eat the food that she prepared. Her own family couldn't sit on any furniture that she sat on. She couldn't even touch her family without them becoming unclean as well. And see, if you were unclean, then you were considered unclean in the eyes of God and you couldn't worship in the synagogue. You couldn't come to church, couldn't have the rabbi pray over you and you are branded as unclean. You are isolated and abandoned and marginalized and forgotten for 12 years. Unclean. Dirty. Broke. Bleeding. Broken. Can you imagine what that would feel like? To not have hope for that long? Can you imagine what that would do to your mental state? 
not being accepted for that long, not being touched for that long, not being able to find peace for that long. Some of you can. Some of you know exactly what this feels like. For some of you, it's been 12 months how this world has been flipped upside down. For some, it's been 12 years. For some, it's been even longer. Let me just ask, let me just just expose the heart right here. How long has it been for you? Oh, you can try to act like you don't have any issues. We all know better. How long has it been for you? Silently bleeding? Secretly bleeding? On the inside? Emotionally, mentally, relationally, physically, financially? How long have you been trying to hold it all together, trying to make it work, trying to find the answer, trying to fix it before they find out? How long have you been bleeding? See, after a while, you just kind of slip into despair. Kind of just slip into the dark that some of you know too well. And you just kind of wish you could slip away. I know, I've been there. Desperate. Desperate to feel, desperate for anything. Desperate for hope. (laughs) If there even is such a thing, right? When you get to that place. I know, I remember like it was yesterday, the moment when I dropped to my knees and I just cried out to God and said, God, I don't even know if you're real. (laughs) But if you are, I need help. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it at all. Desperate. (laughs) Friends, desperation is a powerful thing. Desperation. (laughs) It can change everything. (laughs) Charles Dickens wrote that desperation is far more powerful than rage. See, this woman in our text, man, this woman doesn't even get a name. Can we acknowledge that? Like just how messed up that is? Oh, 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 she kind of gets a name. I'm, I'm sorry, I lied. She does get a name. If you look in your Bibles, for those of you that still have the old paper Bibles and not using your phone, right? It, it, so a lot of them give like subtitles, right? And when you go to Mark 5 to this story, what's it almost always say? The woman with the issue of blood. Oh, what a beautiful name. Thank you for that life-changing, elevating name. Or, or, or sometimes just the bleeding woman. This woman became desperate. Desperate enough to put all of the labels and the names for 12 years to push that all aside and push through a crowd desperate enough to try one more time, desperate enough to reach out to a rabbi who wasn't like all, like all the other rabbis. He, you know, he, he, this rabbi was different. This rabbi hung out with the least and the lost, not just the highest and the best. She thought maybe if he's different, then maybe this time it will be different. See, one way or another, desperation will cause the highest and the lowest to fall at the feet of Jesus. 
See, desperation will drive you to your divine destination. Verse 28, oh man, she has this desperate thought. Verse 28, it changes everything for this woman. 28 says, for she thought. (laughs) Do you know? She thought to herself, if I just touch his robe, then I will be healed. She thought. Do you see that that desperate thought is what caused the blood to stop? Track with me. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. In her desperation, she had the audacity to have this desperate thought that if a woman, even an unclean woman, that was rejected and forgotten for 12 years could just reach out to this radical, unconventional rabbi that maybe, just maybe, things would be different this time. See, if you want to experience breakthrough and healing, you've got to get to that desperate place, desperate enough to try anything, desperate to say, I don't care what you think. Desperate enough to say, I'll do whatever it takes because what have I got to lose? This bleeding woman has this desperate thought and it just changes everything. Do you know the power that you have, the power of your thoughts, the power of your mind? I'm trying to teach this to our son Noah. I'm trying to just help him. You know, he's 13 and he's navigating all the changes and all the stuff and all this crazy world and I'm trying to just help him like just, buddy, listen. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. It's that simple. Take captive your thoughts. For 12 years, this woman had heard, you can't. And for 12 years, she believed it and they were right. And she finally got sick and tired of being sick. Right? She got desperate. Desperate enough that God stirred up in her a new thought, a dangerous thought, a desperate thought, a thought that she's like, if I could just get close enough, if I could just get close enough, I I know that I'm not worthy enough, you know, to to be face to face with this rabbi, even if it is this unconventional, like I know that I'm not worthy to be face to face, so maybe if I just crept up from behind, if I just snuck in to the crowd, and just if I could just get down and I could just touch the, 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 the hem, it says the hem, the, the edge of her robe, right? Like, like if I could just, do you know the edge of a robe in that time that just would drag on the ground, a ground that was filled with dirt and mud and feces and everything else just in the street that she said, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, because I'm pretty dirty too. If I could just touch that, maybe I'd be healed. It's a desperate thought, but it changed everything, didn't it? It Changed everything. (laughs) She got to that point where she knew This same track of thinking is only going to lead to the same thing. If you want to change your reality, you got to change your mind. Do you believe? It's as simple as this. I'm trying to break it down because I'm simple. Do you believe that your bleeding can stop or don't you? Thank God for our medical professionals and thank God for science. Science and faith are a beautiful marriage. Don't ever get that twisted. But it's got to start with, do I actually believe that this bleeding inside of me can change? I'm not talking about the power of sickness. Justin, I'm talking about the power of thoughts that are rooted in our faith, a faith in Christ, a faith in God's word. 
Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that there is healing in the power uh, in the name of Jesus? Do you believe that this can change it, don't you? Simple as that. Do you believe that greater is he that is in us than than he that is in the world? Yes or no? Do you believe this? Because there is life-changing healing power in the name of Jesus. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying, oh yeah, believe and it's gone. No. Do you believe that it can change? There's power in our desperate thoughts. (laughs) I want to share a story with you about another young woman who was desperate enough to believe, desperate enough to believe that things could change. Check out this video. So when I was 14, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, and I always just had minor symptoms. Um, It wasn't until um, about two years ago, um, when my son was five months old, where my symptoms worsened. Um, I remember nursing my son in his room in the middle of the night, and I would be nursing him, and all of a sudden I would need to use the restroom but I wouldn't be able to make it. And my symptoms definitely got the best of me. The worst symptom that I experienced during this time was bleeding. Um, The bleeding and the pain was just awful. Um, I was going to the bathroom about 15 times a day and um, having many accidents. I was dealing with all of this and I was also trying to raise a baby as a first-time mom. I got so bad that the bleeding had to stop somehow. We were either going to need to do surgery or something had to change. So Connor, uh, out of desperation, reached out to the elders. They prayed for me and they anointed me with oil. And when I was in that room, I just remember looking around and being so thankful that these people came out to pray for me and my mom and dad were there and Connor was sitting right next to me and when they were praying for me I truly felt at peace and I knew that I was taken care of and that the Lord was with me. One week I was really sick the week that they prayed for me. I was probably the worst I've ever been and a couple weeks later I started to heal. And to this day, I'm not completely healed. I have a long journey of healing ahead of me, but the bleeding and the pain stopped. During my crisis, my sickness, I was so consumed with wanting to be healed. That's all I could think about. I was getting angry at the Lord for not healing me. I was wondering, why is this happening to me? I just want to be a mom. And I was so angry at him, and I just wanted to be healed. And I finally realized that it's not just about the healing. Yes, I wanted to get healed, but I started to pray for wanting Jesus more. I wanted the healer more than the healing. That was my prayer. And the Lord taught me a lot during this, and He taught me that He is enough, that Jesus is enough no matter what we're going through. Because of what I went through, I hope that I can encourage other people who might have a health problem, a chronic illness, a diagnosis from a doctor. For so long, I let this disease and this sickness define who I was as a person. I would look at myself in the mirror and all I would see is, I'm sick and I'm so desperate and I need help from everybody around me. But the Lord showed me that I am not defined by my sickness. I am defined by His child and His daughter and He loves me. And it's through Jesus I can have hope during a crisis like this. She said, I got to the point where 
I wanted the healer more than the healing. I'm proud of you, Abby. I'm so proud of you. I hope you catch what she said in there. She said, I know I have a long journey ahead of me, but the bleeding stopped. When our team asked it, you know, hey, John, do you want to use this video for this week and your teaching? And, you know, I was like, I don't know. And I reached out to Connor and Abby and I said, hey, you know, okay, uh, are, are the two of you ready to put yourselves out there like that? Because anytime you share your testimony, two things happen. The enemy attacks and people talk. And so Connor and Abby, they talked and they, they got back to me and their response was so beautiful and so simple. They just said, if one person finds hope because of our story, it's all worth it. It's a powerful thought. Imagine doing whatever it takes for the one. <laughs> Friends, it's risky to put yourselves out there. It's risky because, you know, we have an enemy who's real. And his sole purpose is to discourage and destroy. It's risky to put yourself out there because people, even good Christians, can be boneheads. Just delivering the news. I love watching Abby's story. M more so, like, not just what's on the video and what you guys saw. Because I love watching what's happened ever since the elders prayed over her. Is how her face has changed. She didn't know after first service, she goes, I didn't know you were going to say all that. Of course I didn't. I wasn't going to tell you. <laughs> See, when I first met Abby, it was like dude's day, like 2019, you know, and, and I saw her, I was looking for coffee and she's in the hallway and, and I just saw this girl and she was just tired. You see it all over her face. Tired emotionally, physically, tired of knowing what everybody was saying. Oh, look at that poor little girl. Tired. You could see it behind her eyes. There was just a sadness, a hurt that medicine can't hit, heal. And she looked defeated and despair was starting to creep in. Her face said it all. But Abby, I know you don't like the attention. She hates it. And she hates me right now. When I see you in the hallways now, running with Titus and little baby on the way, I see life. I see hope. You are not your sickness, girl. You are a daughter of the king. <laughs> it's a young woman who's desperate enough to not care what you think. To not care to say like, yeah, I couldn't make it to the bathroom. I don't care. Desperate enough to believe that healing was possible. Desperate. Desperate to believe that the story wasn't over. Desperate enough to believe that the story could have a different ending. Some of you are desperate for a different ending. Guess what? It can happen. Your story doesn't have to stay the same that it is right now. You got to believe that it can change though. See, back in our text, after the woman in our text 
You know, she was healed. You know, Jesus turned around and he started looking for like who touched the, the, the robe. And then like she started looking for who was just healed, right? The woman finally reveals herself, verse 33, and says, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had just happened to her, she came and she fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're a custodian, a caretaker, or a king, there will come to a point in your life where your only option for answers. Your only option for hope or breakthrough will be found by breaking down at the feet of Jesus because your breakdown will lead to your breakthrough. Verse 34, and Jesus said to her, daughter, daughter, Do you know that this is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus calls a person daughter? Oh, there's a reference for daughter of Zion. That's not talking about a person. The only time. You want to help me unpack that? This woman, who's been called a lot of different names for 12 years, who's been known by her issues, one time, He didn't have to do that, right? He didn't have to do that. Like he already healed her. Move along, Jesus. Right? The crowd's pushing. I'm sure Jairus was like, yo, my girl. Like he stops to find her. Says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your suffering's over. Why? I don't know. I'm not Jesus. Best guess. I believe (laughs) because like you, I've experienced this because after the body is healed, the mind continues to hurt. And Jesus knew that it was time to change the script in her mind. (laughs) Because there was a time when this woman had a name 12 years is a long time. And over time, she lost her name and she became her issue. Friends, we do this all the time. All the time. We define ourselves by what we go through. We define ourselves by how we feel. We define ourselves by our emotions, our status, our highest point or our lowest point. We, we start saying things. We start saying things over and over again like, hi, I'm an addict. I'm a mess, I'm stupid, I'm worthless, I'm broken, I'm divorced, I'm widowed, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm depressed. You are not your issue. You are not an addict, you are a child of God who is managing their addiction. You are not depressed. You're a child of God who is managing their depression. You are not worthless. You're a child of God who is worth dying for. You are not your issue. Jesus stops everything to give this woman her name back. no longer a woman with the issue. She's daughter. (laughs) Because knowing who you are and whose you are gives you the power to heal and knows who you're connected to. Oh, I've got a big daddy. 
I've got a daddy who heals. I've got a daddy who shows up. I've got a daddy who says, I don't care that they said there's no way. I'll make a way. That's who my daddy is. I'm his son. Friends, we've all got stuff. I see you out there. I won't look at you right now because I don't want to call you out. That that wouldn't be pastorly of me. But I see you with your arms crossed wondering when I'm going to stop talking. Maybe it's time for you to admit that the reason why your arms are crossed because you thought you could fix this all on your own. Nobody likes to admit that they're wrong. We all have issues. Physical issues, mental issues, we've all got them. Places on the inside where we're all bleeding. but those issues don't define us. Acknowledge this. Believe that things can change. Be desperate enough to boldly take a healing step of action. Knowing the information does not lead to transformation. Knowing the information and taking action. Because our faith without works, our faith without action is dead. I'm inviting you to be desperate. Desperate for the king. Desperate to believe. That desperation can change everything. Let's pray. Father, I come before you as just a broken man that you've put back together better than he ever was before. And Father, because of that, I know what you're capable of. And so I'm just asking that before you send us out into the world to heal, that you will heal us first. That all the stuff we wrestle with, that we will boldly step and be desperate enough to step to you to say, help me. I'm asking for healing to wash over this family. I'm asking for hope to take root. I know you can do it. So I am standing in the gap and standing on your promises for all of these men, women, and students. We are desperate for you. It's in your name that we pray, amen.